Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of What the Forensics. My name is Rebecca, and I am joined here once again today by the lovely Journey and Nicole. Last week, we delved into the mind-boggling case of Lori Vallow Daybell, and this week, to continue our two-part series of ongoing cases, uh, Journey is going to tell you all about the case of American actor Jonathan Majors. Just before we get started, I would also like to note that we do have a listener's discretion advised, as there are discussions of domestic abuse and suicide. But with that being said, I would love to get into this episode. And Journey, would you care to tell us more about what's going on with Jonathan Majors? Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to do a little bit about like who he was and then the crimes that he's being charged with currently. So uh, Jonathan Majors was born September 7th, 1989 in Santa Barbara County, California. He grew up on the Vandenberg military base with his mom, who is a pastor, his sister and his brother, as well as his father, who was in the U.S. Air Force. And his parents separated when they moved to Texas a few years later. Uh, he describes his parents' separation as his father just vanishing, but he has now uh, returned to Jonathan's life and they have like some form of, rela of a relationship. It was very confusing researching it because a lot of the articles just said that like his dad just vanished and I thought he like legitimately vanished. I didn't realize that his parents had actually separated and he was using that as kind of like a explanation for that. And so his mom had actually remarried at some point during his childhood and she did everything in her power to support her children. Uh, however, Jonathan still had a little bit of a rough childhood and he was arrested for shoplifting. He was suspended from high school for fighting and he ended up living in his car for two years after being kicked out of his house at around the age of 16. And then after watching Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, he kind of found a safe space in the world of theater. And he says that Heath Ledger's performance of the Joker resembled the moral dualities of good and evil that he kind of grew up around. And so that led him to becoming an actor. And he wanted to inspire other kids like how he was inspired by Ledger's Joker performance, which is pretty cool. And so to achieve this goal of becoming an actor, he went to the University of North Carolina School of Arts for his bachelor's degree. He then went to the Yale School of Drama, where he graduated with a Master of Fine Arts in 2016. And while he was still a student at Yale, he got his first on-screen role on the ABC miniseries When We Rise, where he portrayed Ken Jones, who is a real-life gay activist. And so it sounds like a really, really cool uh, TV show. So I'm going to definitely check that out. And that same year, he was in the Western film Hostiles, which came out in September 2017. So it was like filmed and everything in 2016 and then released 2017. And this was only the start of his success because he went on to star in 13 movies and four TV shows and is set to star in two more Avengers movies and Loki season two. And he is currently the star of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and Creed 3, which are in theaters at the time of recording, which is pretty cool. And so now that you know just a little bit about Majors and who he was, this is a very difficult topic because there's so much to it and so many like complexities of it. But it's also important to note that Jonathan Majors is a black man for those of you who don't know who he is. 
And that plays a very influential role in this case. And so on March 25th, 2023, around 11 a.m., he was arrested for assault, strangulation, and harassment charges from his home in Manhattan. And so this stemmed from a domestic dispute with a 30-year-old woman who sustained injuries to her head and neck and was taken to the hospital in stable conditions um, that same day. And so the complaint against him doesn't name the woman who's charging him. However, we do know now that it was his girlfriend at the time, Grace Jabari, who was pressing these charges. And so in the complaint, it states that he, quote, struck her about the face with an open hand, causing substantial pain and a laceration behind her ear, end quote. And it also claims that he, quote, put his hand on her neck, causing bruising and substantial pain, end quote. And so this dispute allegedly occurred during a car ride back to his house the night before. And then he ended up being released from custody later in the day on March 25th. And his lawyers are very adamantly denying any wrongdoing on his part. And in a statement released by his attorney, she claimed that the woman was, quote, um, having an emotional crisis for which she was taken to the hospital, end quote, and that Majors, quote, did not assault her whatsoever, end quote. So, again, very adamantly denying any um, wrongdoing on his part. And so his attorney also alleges that it was Majors who called 911 the morning of March 25th. And she says, quote, his, er, sorry, the police arrived with the paramedics as a standard procedure and arrested Mr. Majors due to an NYPD protocol requiring arrest in certain circumstances. Um, his lawyer also added that, quote, the accuser also disavowed any allegations that he had done anything to her and confirmed that Mr. Majors called 911 because of her mental condition, end quote. And so I just want to address the fact that it seems a little odd that there's a protocol requiring that the police arrest someone in certain circumstances. And I would very much like to know or like have those circumstances defined because I like I don't understand. That's so very vague and scary. Yeah, why one, not the other, that kind of thing. Well, exactly. Especially if you're arresting the person who called nine one one. Like that doesn't feel mm, you know, Yeah. Um, it feels a little like victim blaming if you're going mm-hmm. to the scene of a crime and arresting the person who called them. But I mean, at least right now where we stand, we don't know the full story. <laughs> yeah. And so her mental condition, um, According to one source, they had a fight in a taxi cab on the way home to his house in Chelsea before she went out to party for the rest of the night. And then upon returning home later that night or very early the next morning, she had sent Majors a suicide note, had taken several sleeping pills, and then was found alone in a locked room in a closet by Majors with a cut behind her ear and a broken finger. And so... I believe this is when he called 911. That's when I would call 911. So I'm assuming yeah. that that's when he called 911. Yeah, I would call 911 then too. Mm-hmm. So keep that in mind. And so the next day on March 26th, so after he had been arrested and taken to the police station and then released from custody, Majors was arraigned on charges including assault, attempted assault, harassment, and aggravated harassment in connection to the arrest the previous day. And his attorney revealed that there were two written statements from the woman recanting the allegations against him in the form of text messages on March 30th. And so there's a lot of like 
controversy, I guess, around these uh, text messages because they can't fully prove that they're from her or something. I don't really know what the issue is with them, but I know that some people aren't happy with them. But in one text, um, supposedly Grace said, quote, please let me know you're okay when you get this. They assured me that you won't be charged. They said they had to arrest you as protocol when they saw the injuries on me and they knew we had a fight. I'm so angry that they did. And I'm sorry you're in this position. We'll make sure nothing happens about this. I told them it was my fault for trying to grab your phone. I only just got out of the hospital. Just call me when you're out. I love you. End quote. And so, like, if she had, like, I don't understand how charges could still be pressed if Mm -hmm. she had told the police officers, like, don't charge him. Yeah. And if she's coming to be like, hey, this is what happened. Mm -hmm. Why did you charge him just for being there? Why is that still? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So then in a different text message, she allegedly said, quote, they just called again to check on me and I reiterated how this was not an attack and they do not have my blessing on any charges being placed. I read the paper they gave me about strangulation and I said, point blank, this did not occur and should be removed immediately. The judge is definitely going to be told this. She ensured this to me. I know you have the best team and there is nothing to worry about. I just want you to know that I'm doing all I can on my end. I also said to tell the judge to know that the origin of the call was to do with me collapsing and passing out and your worry as my partner due to our communication prior out of care. She promised all will be relayed, end quote. So that statement helps me believe that she did send like a suicide note and was like his like cause for concern was like valid, I guess. Um. And so now that there's just like a little bit of reasonable doubt of whether or not he um, did these things, let's explore some of the other evidence in this case. I don't know if I missed this, but do we know the skin color of this female? Does that play a part in this? So she's white. Okay. I don't know if she has like, if she's like a white passing ethnicity. But in the photos and stuff, she is white. And he is a large black male? Yeah. Just in the United States? Yeah. Okay. Just going back a little bit when you were, we were saying, like, if she rescinded her charges, I'm not Mm -hmm. positive how charges towards, like, assault kind of play out, I guess is the words I want. Um, But I know that, like, in terms of, like, homicide or murder and stuff, like, charges can be laid whether or not someone wants to press charges. But I know that's not the case for everything. Like, if you didn't want to press – if you were personally assaulted and you chose not to press charges, if I understand the law correctly, police don't have the right to press charges because you, as the person – like, as the victim, chose not to. But – yeah. I very well could be misremembering that simply because I know there are some that it's the government's basically responsibility to charge them. And some it's the victim's responsibility to seek charges. Yeah. Um, So yeah, it's just really strange if she did rescind them, why they would continue with it. Yeah. Cause I feel like, um, like what you were saying of like in homicide cases, the state can still press charges because the victim isn't there to press the charges. And so then I think in this case, 
Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, and so there's footage from the vehicle where this dispute took place, as well as testimonies from witnesses. There's footage from the street corner where the original fight happened, the nightclub, the penthouse, the penthouse elevator, as well as body camera footage from the police officers. So there is a lot of evidence um, in this case. And so the taxi cab driver saw and heard everything that happened and witnessed uh, Jabari, quote, hitting, scratching, and attacking, and quote, majors, uh, before he w- asked the uh, driver to pull over just before 1 a.m. And he said that he did pull over at major's request and then watched as she chased him after he ran out of the cab. And apparently this fight was started by her accusing majors of cheating on her and that she was then attempting to like take his phone. And then there is footage of her at a nightclub later that same night, like after the taxi cab, um, where it shows her using both of her hands just fine and that she had no signs of a physical attack. And this is very important because she alleges that Jonathan grabbed her hand and broke her finger during their altercation in the cab. And there's also elevator footage from that same night after the taxi cab fight where she adjusts her hair with her right hand, which is supposed to be injured. So there's like quite a few um, videos where her hand is obviously not injured. And then this is annoying. But when the police arrived on scene and body camera footage shows the officers checking out the penthouse, commenting on how big it was, and then asking if Jonathan Majors was, like, if it was really his apartment. Because how could a black man in America own such a nice place? Did they know who he was? Did they know that he was okay? Yeah. But also, how can you ask that? Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I can understand being like, wow, this is a nice place. But then to be like, how can you afford this? Like, well, yeah. see, this isn't yours. That's a little, a little too far. But he, if he was white, they wouldn't think twice no. about it. They'd be like, oh, yeah, you're just a businessman. You make money. Sure. Exactly. Um, and so then apparently there's also footage of officers coaching Jabari on what to say to them about what majors did to her. And supposedly, um, an officer tells her 19 times to say that Mr. Majors grabbed her by the throat. And then she says that. There's actual footage of police officers coaching her? Like, body yeah, cam so. footage of... Yeah. I didn't see times. that. Mm-hmm. And they just, they took her word for that. Mm-hmm. I don't like okay and I'm nervous that in the trial that this evidence is somehow going to get lost or be corrupted because yeah, they're going to spin so- it in a way that the jurors don't know that she was mm-hmm. prompted 18 19 times before she finally said yes exactly oh, for sure because I mean just think of like trials of people who are wrongfully convicted um i know we've spoken of them in the past of a case and i'm sorry i can't remember the specific name at the time but of people who were mentally ill or had lower iq not saying she did that were completely coaxed by the police in the interrogation but the only stuff they showed jurors were the actual confession yeah but no it's just like 
like you said, Nicole, they are totally probably going to spin it like, oh, we didn't coax her. We didn't say anything, but it's it just it's so unimpartial. And I know that's Mm -hmm. not a word and I apologize, but the jurors deserve to see the whole thing because it's innocent until proven guilty. Exactly. The police are aiding in the like the statements of the victims. And that's a big problem. Yeah. Exactly. And so I haven't seen this footage myself, so I can't verify whether or not this actually happened. Um, Because a lot of the sources were like TMZ and page six. And so it was just kind of like, I tried my best to find reliable sources, but I don't know for sure if this is something that happened or not. And so this case is going to trial on August 3rd. So it hasn't even gone to trial yet. And so all of this evidence hasn't been brought to court or anyone has like testified or anything. So I kind of just want to like stay on top of it to see where it goes. Um, but that being said, uh, there was an updated incident report filed two months after Majors was arrested by Grace Jabari. And so in this report, she no longer accuses him of grabbing her neck and says that he did not push her into the vehicle, but that he did slap her. And she also changed her story of him grabbing her hand to him just grabbing her finger that ended up broken. So, so there's a lot of back and forth. Mm-hmm. A lot of back and forth. Yeah. And so and his defense... <clears throat> sorry. No, that's okay. I was just going to ask, has she like... What's the situation been between their communications before this trial? Because I know with Lori and Chad, like they were not granted to talk to each other like leading up to the trial. Yeah, I don't know. From the sounds of it, they haven't been talking. Okay. He now has a new girlfriend. Oh, plot twist. So the whole like possibly he's cheating on her makes sense i it still doesn't excuse like the fact that she had these charges or whatever but no it does make sense a little bit um so yeah jonathan major's defense team maintains that jabari confronted him hitting and scratching him and then went out clubbing and then passed out in a closet in his home where she then woke up with injuries to her ear and finger And as of the second last week of June, there was an I-card issued for Grace Jabari, which is kind of like an arrest warrant, but it just isn't signed by a judge and it stands for incident card. So it kind of just lets police officers know that she's like a person of interest and like should be arrested like if they come across her. That was my understanding. Like what would she be charged with though? Is it more of like a, hey, bring her in and we'll figure whatever out or is it more of a we need her in here so she can't do anything else yeah so i think it was more of like a he's claiming that their relationship has been physically violent before but no incident has been reported to the police and it's also like with the amount of this footage she's like obviously lying to the police or not obviously but like they think that's my understanding i didn't find like a a statement that said point blank what it was for but she hasn't been arrested that I know of. So they're obviously like, don't really care about it. I've never heard about iCards. That's really interesting. Yeah. I know. Me neither. So again, take it with a grain of salt. Um, I did my best to get reliable information from tabloids. It felt like, so we'll see. 
I completely believe the information you're you're giving me. I've just never heard of an I card, and it just makes me like want to do further research and wonder like, is that like basically a card to detain them, not mm-hmm. without evidence, because they clearly have evidence, but. I've only ever heard of like a judge being able to to provide the warrant to be able to actually take someone in. So that's really yeah. really interesting. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't think of like googling what it actually is or anything. Um but I definitely was nervous about researching this because like some of the sources were so unreliable and so I'm like I'm really hoping that this is the most accurate um information as possible. And so, in addition, there have been other women coming forward with claims of abuse from majors, and one of the victims was even granted a temporary order of protection by a judge against him until his May 9th court date, which has come and gone. And there are also allegations like um, that go back for a decade, I guess. And so, I there's nothing really more known other than that other women have come forward. So I think they're saving most of that for the trial, which makes sense. And so the U S military has also pulled their advertisements that feature Jonathan majors as they are quote, deeply concerned about the allegations and quote, they also stated quote, while Mr. Majors is innocent until proven guilty, prudence dictates that we pull our ads until the investigation into these allegations is complete end quote. So whatever that means. Um, he was also dropped by his management company, Entertainment 360, and the public relations firm, The Ledge Company. And he was cut from an upcoming film, and his role is being recast. And the next Avengers movie is being postponed, as well as his invitation to the Met Gala was rescinded. And so there's like, according to Reddit, the um, next Avengers movie being postponed is really convenient with the uh, writers going on strike. So they're just kind of like saying that it's being postponed for this when it actually might be the writer's strike just to kind of like not take a side. Just add Um, fuel to the fire, really. mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, because everyone's mad at Disney for not like immediately removing him. But... I have some issues with this case, and that's why I wanted to bring it up. And so it's a black man against a white woman in American courts, and so he is just almost doomed. Like, his career is more or less over, unless they can, like, definitively prove and have her say, I lied, like, on the stand. And then they still have to deal with the other women coming forward, and... So I was recommended this case from one of my friend's new boyfriend, who is um, a black man as well. And he's very passionate about this case because it's something that could very easily happen to him. Where when he started dating my friend, he was very nervous because she has so much power over like, if something was to happen, no matter what, or if she just got the urge to call 911 and say that something happened, he would almost immediately be arrested just because of his skin color. And so he's just like, he was, it was very interesting to have that pointed out because that's not something I ever would have thought. But he's like, I have to place so much trust in you that you're not going to do that to me. And then, yeah, it was just very interesting. And then, because we as white women never think about that. I was just going to say, like, we as white women, like you just said, like, definitely take that for granted or Mm -hmm. um, don't put as much thought into it i would say the majority don't put or think about that in a way that 
should be addressed and should be thought about. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it was just, yeah, enlightening. Um, And so there's also uh, footage of her without the injuries that she claims came from him. And so I would just like to know where her injuries actually came from or if they were like somehow self-inflicted or if they like... I don't understand or if there's something more going on that we don't know about. And it's, it's very similar to the whole like Johnny Depp, Amber Heard case where yes, there is like, I don't know where I want to go with this. It's such a, a tough topic. Yeah. Because Because you can't diminish the, the voices on each side mm-hmm. but then that line is blurred to well who do we trust and why and why are we believing those individuals exactly you know what I mean? like yeah sorry go ahead yeah it's unfair to like punish him just because he's black and a man yeah. in this situation but it's also unfair that like if this actually was how that happened then to just completely ignore her story her, too yeah yeah, it's just a weird line that I think it's like it's especially tough in <clears throat> excuse me, circumstances especially revolving around like either domestic abuse or abuse of some sort because it comes back to this whole concept and like this notion that like women often aren't believed. Like they mm-hmm. if you come forth, you're either told it didn't happen or you're not believed or you're making it up. But then when you add, in this case, a black male into the mix, then you have the whole side of, well, now there's this whole racial discrimination happening. I were like, you have the, we're not going to believe the female because whatever, but then the male because he's a black male. And it's just this whole can of worms that are... That's a lot. Yeah, it's like choosing the lesser evil, right? Of like, you can believe every woman that comes forward, but then you are condemning some innocent men. Yeah. But then if you believe every man, then you're like ignoring a lot of affected women. Like, it's just, yeah, it's such a catch-22. It really, sorry, Nicole. Nope, go ahead. (laughs) I was going to say that's, I agree, it's very difficult because we don't want to victim blame because- generally if we want like the court systems and the justice system to take victims seriously we can't underestimate or basically undermine like what victims are saying Mm -hmm. but at the same time the people being accused have the right to be considered innocent until proven guilty and i don't think that's a that's that's not an instance of victim blaming. It's simply following the system. And yeah. until we actually determine what happened, which could be very difficult in a case like this, especially with how much media is surrounding it. So it's obviously very yeah. hard to research, very hard to find the true facts. Mm-hmm. It's like it really I don't want to say unfortunately, it's up to the courts to decide. But like depending on the jury you get, depending on the price that they paid for the lawyers and all of this stuff like this, this trial could honestly have multiple outcomes that might or might not benefit either of them. Exactly. And like another thing is he's such a big star right now. And so a lot of fans of stars kind of like lose their mind a little bit. So the women coming forward, whether or not they were actually um, victimized by him, like 
fans have done crazy things. So mm-hmm. it's like that 15 not to say that their fame. stories aren't true. I don't know, but there is, yeah. you do have to ask that question of, are they doing this for their 15 minutes of fame? Yeah. And I think that's like the difficult thing too, because, and it's this, and it, this concept is involved or like comes up with a whole, a lot of different topics too, but like, is it that more people are coming forward because there's more discussion and openness about it? Or are more people coming forward to help and like prove, not prove a point, but to like get their word out? Like you mm-hmm. have to take a look at the timing of it all and it comes down to like, why now? Yeah, and exactly. We, I don't think we'll ever know that. And that's the tricky part because that's what so much of this relies on too is like the the word from so many other victims and those who may be victims in this circumstance. Yeah. And like another thing is that he did have such like a rough childhood and like early adulthood mm-hmm. that it's like how many people from then would classify how he acted towards them as abusive behavior, not to like excuse any of it, but it is, I don't know, another thought. Like it's just such a convoluted case that you can't ever like fully understand without someone's feelings getting hurt. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's basically all I have on it. That's all that we really know. So I'm going to try and do like a little page on our website or something, just kind of updating it after the case goes to trial in August. Because I think that would be kind of interesting just to see what happens, right? Yeah. But I don't think it'll be like as highly televised as like the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, but it does kind of give me similar vibes. Yeah. And it's like, it's honestly sad that it's not going to be that publicized, but I get that Johnny Depp and Amber Heard are higher celebrity status Mm -hmm. but then like but he's also a movie star he's also a prominent figure why is he not getting the same media time yeah why right yeah i was also thinking about like just throughout you telling us this case study like just the amount of similarities between the johnny depp and amber heard case there is also a lot of differences because i understand that um the woman in this case did kind of rescind her statement and stuff like that. And Amber Heard didn't, but mm-hmm. still it's just, it's, it's very similar in the sense of unfortunately, as it is with a lot of domestic violence cases, because unless you're consciously, you know, taking videos or audio or pictures or whatever, like you're, it's going to be a lot of hearsay evidence. And that's so unfortunate yep. to say, because there are countless victims that genuinely do have a good case, but because it's hearsay, yeah, it's hard to prosecute. But I just hope that the actual truth comes out in this case and that yeah. it's, you know, not it's it's not faked for the publicity or it's not unjustly convicted because of mm-hmm. Rachel. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, yeah. I don't know exactly yeah. how to end that sentence but <laughs> no, we get what you're saying we, yeah yeah no it's just it's so tricky but i just wanted to like i don't know bring everyone's attention to it and just have a little bit of a discussion because it is a very important discussion to have um but yeah so that's uh pretty much it for what i have for jonathan majors and what's going on in his life right now
Well, Journey, I very much appreciate you telling us about it. Um, like, I definitely have heard his name in the media simply because of being, you know, like a famous movie star. He's in Ant-Man and the Wasp, which are great movies. <laughs> um, but just to kind of hear what he's going through and hearing like both sides of it, like it very much is one of those cases that's um, it, it sounds like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff kind of going on that the public isn't really aware of and that maybe there's some injustices happening. Um, I appreciate you kind of bringing us onto like the whole scope of the investigation and, t- and going through all of the details with us and kind of the chronological order of everything going down. So I really hope this was informative to all of our listeners because it definitely was to me. And I really look forward to kind of hearing the updates on this case. And we will be keeping our website kind of updated on like the the trials of both him as well as the case that Nicole had spoken about. Um, but with all of that being said, I do believe that this is the end of our current ongoing cases. Um, if you guys have enjoyed hearing about ongoing cases, I know that we would really enjoy to speak about them further. So if you've enjoyed, please let us know and we'll kind of seek out more cases that are ongoing either whether they're really popular or maybe they're just really not known and you just want to bring more attention to them, we would love to talk about them. So just just send us some suggestions and that would be really awesome. But with that being said, uh, the next topic we'll be speaking about will be the person named Yang Jinghai, and we'll be talking about the science of forensic traumatology, and that will be in just a couple weeks' time. Um, and before we get into kind of where people can find us with our social media, I would kind of like to share an interesting article that I find, found for you guys that I was kind of going back and forth on what to share, but I thought you guys would think this was really interesting. I'm very so, excited to hear about this. Oh, good. I'm also excited to share it. Okay. So I found an article. It was on CNN. I actually found it on like Bing's homepage, like MSN. Nice. (laughs) But it is a CNN article and the title, which pretty much gives it all away, but I thought I would obviously share it with you, is ancient pendants made from giant sloth bones suggest humans were in America's earlier than thought. What? Are these like the giant sloths that used to roam? Yes. And I am no <laughs> going to share like in a minute, like just how big this species was in terms of like size. I just thought it was so cool. Sloths are so cool. But uh, I had no idea there were giant sloths. Wait, yeah, you didn't they- know this? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh, Journey. You need to look up look up the skeleton of a giant sloth in comparison to a human. They're like elephant size. Oh, it's incredible. <laughs> okay, I'll do that when we're done recording. Beautiful. So, in Brazil, archaeologists who were working in Santa Elena Rock Shelter, which is in central Brazil, Um, have just found three giant sloth bones, which are believed to have actually been perforated. So they drilled a hole through them, 
with whatever ancient technology we had and also polished by humans to be pendants worn on like like as jewelry so these pendants are very significant as they're believed to be between 25,000 and 27,000 years old and are currently the oldest known ornaments that have ever been uncovered in the Americas, as well as the only ones ever found to have been made by the bones of giant sloths. And I will get into the significance of the age in just a couple minutes. I just want to talk about more of the research because it's super cool. Um, so currently, there's research being conducted in the Santa Elena Rock Shelter, um, and in recent years in this cave, scientists have uncovered many rock paintings, which are believed to have been created by indigenous populations who inhabited the area thousands of years ago. Um, these paintings include depictions of other humans as well as animals. And scientists believe that this kind of shows us um just like a little bit of a look into the culture that ancient Brazilians had. Um, so ever since their discovery, scientists have been studying this rock shelter to gain a better understanding of Brazil's prehistoric cultures because of all the paintings found. And with this, they also found that it was used as a shelter by the now extinct species of giant sloths called Glossotherium phono phonesis. And I really apologize if I mispronounced that. Um, Glossotherium phonesis. <laughs> Just for a little bit of scope and journey, I know you said you hadn't even heard of giant sloth species. This, even though they were on the smaller scale of giant sloths, on average weighed about 600 kilograms or 1,323 pounds. So they were like, um, I believe the article said, on average, they were larger and heavier than the modern-day brown bear. Wow, wow, that's insane. I cannot believe that there were sloths as big as brown bears, and they just, like, eat leaves and shit. Like, that's crazy. Right? I know. There's no way there were, like, herbivores, just little giant sloths just roaming around, and... I didn't have this kind of in my blurb about the article, but now that we're talking about giant sloths, I am just so excited to say that these researchers also um, believe, like, it's not confirmed because it's very hard to confirm this kind of stuff, um, but they believe that these sloths and the humans actually, like, lived, um, I can't remember the word, cohabited. They cohabitated yeah. these caves because these some caves in Brazil are actually so large that they've discovered that these giant caverns in like cave systems were actually the burrows of giant sloths that are so large that they are like humans can just roam around them freely. Stop. No way. I know. So they believe they, they co-inhabited because sloths are even today, a very non-threatening species. Mm -hmm. And even back then, they were herbivores, so humans likely wouldn't feel threatened because they were only eating leaves. Um, but just to get back on track to the pendants they found and back onto the kind of new research, um, they found that these pendants are made out of sloth osteoderms, which I have since learned from reading this, are 
um, they're bony plates that are embedded in the sloth skin, which is really similar to like an armadillo scale. So it's like okay. kind of just like a, a bony plate of armor that this cool. animal has. It's hardcore. So I know. <laughs> I wish I had that, honestly. <laughs> So this team of researchers, which was led by paleontologist um, Ty Pensani, they did an analysis on three osteoderms, which were found in this cave. It didn't specify the amount, but a couple of them, like one or two of them were modified. So what they suspect to be like human pendants. And then one or two of them, again, were just unmodified sloth scales that they just found in the cave that weren't used. Um, they found that on the modified osteoderms or the pendants, there appeared to be microscopic marks that indicated that they were polished by human hands prior to being fossilized. And because of how extremely rare these pendants are, like these are the first of its kind they've been found, the researchers didn't conduct um, age dating. I suspect it was carbon dating. It didn't specify in the article, but it by the sounds of it, it was carbon dating. They didn't do that on the pendants themselves because it was much too um, damaging. So they didn't want to like damage these very rare artifacts. But they did date other materials that they found at the same location at the same layer of sediment or layer of dirt. So like they um, they analyzed unmodified giant sloth bones on the same layer, as well as charcoal and other sediment. And they discovered through these analyses that they're between 25,000 and 27,000 years old. Holy cow. I know. And this is super cool. Like, I'm trying to contain my excitement because this whole article, I was like, what? This is crazy. Um, this is a really big discovery because the South and North America, Americas, um, geologists and archaeologists pretty much mutually agree were like the last... Um, continents settled by humans. And because of this, the exact time period of when humans first made contact is very heavily debated because of the lack of uh, basically evidence we have for it. So prior to these discoveries of the pendants, um, other research suggested 16,000 years ago, but really recent research suggests that there were human footprints fossilized in New Mexico that were the age of between 21,000 and 23,000 years ago. But even with that being said, with the oldest possible fossils being that long ago, the artifacts that the researchers just found in Brazil predate the footprints found in New Mexico by at least 3,000 years. So this suggests that humans were in the Americas at least 3,000 years before we initially believed. And they are still doing studies on these pendants made out of sloth bones, and it's still ongoing. And I will update you guys if, as I find them, because I will probably be keeping up with this research because that is so cool. <laughs> so I... I've heard the reason why that they were so large. I don't know if this is true or not, but like is because of the oxygen levels. There was so much more oxygen that promoted cell growth and like size growth. So a lot of animals and creatures way, 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 way back were on such a larger scale. So that could explain why they were that large. 
I didn't personally read anything about like why they were so big. Mm-hmm. No, that's just a fun little fact that I I don't know if it's true or not. I just remember hearing oh, it at some point. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it sounds like it would be accurate. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the air was a lot healthier thousands <laughs> of years ago than it is now. <laughs> 23,000 years ago does not seem long enough ago for them to have been this big and then like evolved down to the size that sloths are now. Like that's so like that's in recent history. That's crazy. See, that's what I wonder as well, especially given like this article I read, like they did say that this species of giant sloth, which again was just over on average 1600 pounds larger than a brown bear, were on the smaller side of the giant sloth species. Yeah. So to see like how they got so small in such, in terms of the entire age of the universe got so small is so fascinating and yeah i am personally very excited to to keep up with this research because i know they did say that they're looking into doing further research um on there's like a and i didn't look into this a lot so i apologize but there's new research, I believe, coming out of Russia. It's a new, much more non-intrusive way of doing DNA testing that they apparently, take this with a grain of salt, um, is so precise they can even detect whether or not a human wore it as like jewelry at some point in history. Oh, how are they able to prove that it was worn? That's what I'm also wondering. I'm not positive. They said something about taking a core sample of deer teeth, because I think that was the only current research they have on this new technology, which is why I'm saying take it with a grain of salt. But apparently they were able to detect human DNA on like this, like the outermost surface Mm. of this deer teeth, which is what they kind of extrapolated to be as like someone must have worn it for a long enough period of time that it they Mm -hmm. shed their skin cells and it fossilized um but yeah my this article on the sloth pendants being possibly the oldest human record so far of humans in the americas like the north and south americas so is so crazy and like I was saying before, I had another article to show you guys. And then yesterday I was just scrolling on my computer and then this came up and I was like, that's way cooler. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta talk about the sloths. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is much, much cooler. And I didn't even know it was a thing. Well, thank you for sharing. That was really neat. I kind of want a sloth pendant now. How big were they again? Sorry. Because when I think Um, of like a sloth scale, like an armadillo sloth scale, I think like the size of your palm or your hand. Yeah, so apologies for my couple mouse clicks right now. I'm just sharing the link with them. But this um, these pictures will also be on our website because they're too cool not to share. Um, if you guys go to this link, it shows you pictures of the sloth scales they found. It doesn't really give a good scale size. Oh, it there is actually a, a scale size reference. I'm completely <laughs> lying. Um they're pretty small, but you can see if I Whoa. remember correctly, the one on the very left side is unmodified. This is just a slot scale compared to the other two with the one on the furthest oh. right being 
about a centimeter wide, very polished and has a perfect hole in it. It's very clear why they believed, plus with microscopic samples, why humans perforated and polished these bones. And the one that's unmodified looks like it has two holes in it naturally already, which is kind of crazy. It's also super weird to me that they have both an exoskeleton and, like, an internal skeleton. Because I don't picture sloths with, like... I know. Like, an armadillo scales, right? Like, that's I know, so I, weird. Like, I understand that armadillos have an exoskeleton. Same with, like, pangolins from today. Like, they have one. But just to see how much, like, species have evolved to change. Like, the fact that sloths had an exoskeleton... And we're 1,600 pounds, and now they're, like, the size of a cat, and they're just fluffy. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. It's, yeah, no, evolution and discovering, like, the timeline of humans across the world is probably one of the most fascinating topics to me. It is just incredible to learn about our very, very prehistoric ancestry. So with all of that fun and interesting information about giant sloths. Journey, would you care to tell us where all of our wonderful listeners can find us on social media? Of course. So people can find us on our Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at What the Forensics. Our Twitter is WT Forensics PC. Our website is whatthefrensics.ca, your one-stop shop for everything forensics. And our email is whatthefrensics at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or concerns. Thank you so much. Um, we really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know we definitely did. Um, we will definitely keep you guys updated on these two ongoing cases as they're very much in the forefront of our minds. Um, and with that being said... This has been another episode of What the Forensics. We really hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time. Just a reminder to everyone that we are not professionals in the forensic science field. We are just interested in forensics and want to share what we are learning with our listeners. We're trying to give you the most accurate information, but we are human and can make mistakes. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you next week. Mm -hmm.